Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Brett, Ed, Fran, Johnny, Matt and Paul, helping you to build more muscle and to lose weight with a hint of banter and a dash of humour. Enjoy this week's episode. Well, welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast, episode number 169, I believe. Now, this is, well, not a solo episode, but we not we do not have Johnny today. Um, in fact, we've got another accent to replace Johnny's very Welsh accent. Um, we have, uh, do I say young Gordon Greenhorn? I say young because younger than me. So I'm going to say young Gordon Greenhorn. Um, I said, actually, let's say hello first. So hello, Gordon. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I said I'm going to embarrass him on the podcast. Um, and this is how I'm going to embarrass him. So, Gordon, I think you were probably one of the first fitness professionals I followed on the social medias. Wow. Wow. What do I, what do I say to that? I don't know. Um, I, I was probably cropped up for some reason or another that was, uh, that was blasphemy to <laughs> that you either thought of or uh, considered i think um, i th- I, th- I think well, yeah, i was gonna say i think i followed james conchie mitchell i think and i think he must have shouted you out or done something because i think you were probably coaching him at the time and bear in mind i didn't know yes. i i wasn't in the fitness industry myself at that point i'm gonna i'm gonna guess this was twenty nine nine years ago probably yeah was. i was gonna say about 2012 ish um I wasn't quite in the fitness industry myself then, um, but starting to kind of get involved in and try and, you know, as, as a lot of us do go through our journey. Um, and I was still following the likes of, well, every every guru you can imagine probably. So actually I won't even talk to you. <laughs> Almost went yeah. there. Um, <laughs> we, we, yeah. <laughs> um, but I would say you're probably the first evidence-based people that I'd start to follow. So I credit you. I credit you as part of my journey, I suppose. I never said that. Obviously, uh-huh. we've conversed every now and then on social media on the odd message, but yeah. I don't think I've ever said that. So, yeah. Well, uh, hopefully, hopefully it was reasonable content that, uh, <laughs> that dragged you down a path of, uh, of wherever we are now. Um, and I suppose, I suppose that kind of uh, truncates us into an interesting idea on why I sort of started my approach. Um, that was the kind of the. I was an angry little Scotsman that was kind of a bit disappointed with the world and a bit disappointed with the fitness world and the whole kind of supplement industry and being lied to and wasting so much time and so much money and all that kind of thing. So I suppose those days were basically just me kind of just ranting about being an angry person at the fact that I was kind of conned back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, I was quite angry at people for continuing to con people. But maybe they're not now. Maybe they're just business coaches. Well, yeah, <laughs> most most probably are now. Um, well, you say that surely, surely most of them would have made their six figures by now and not need to business coach any longer. Exactly, you know, they they bought a couple of houses, got property, done a real job, and uh, enjoyed themselves, I suppose. But maybe not. No. Um, yeah, I I I I made joke about an anti fitness because I think like at the time I remember very much kind of thinking you were the myth buster of certain things like you say getting angry or or not enjoying the the pleasures that the fitness industry tends to give us when we know no better um so yeah no thank you i, I just there's a little personal thanks for me for being part of my journey <laughs> well, I, i'm glad i was it feels like it feels like we've been dating for like yes. nine or ten years yes but not I, quite. no no i also remember one of the things i think when you were traveling um i think I remember making reference to one of the burger places in New York as well, some monster stack thing. 
Oh, it would have been yeah, yeah. So that would have been post post competition season in 2016. Uh, I found this mac and cheese burger thing. I think that's what you might have commented on. Sounds and, like it. Uh, that was pretty savage, actually. I'm really disappointed I didn't finish it. Uh, mm. Not that I'm competitive or anything. No. Um, but yeah, that was the, <laughs> that was quite extreme. I quite enjoyed doing those kind of things. I don't know why because. I think it just it's a competition. I think if anything's a competition, I'm going to try and do something about it. It can be playing tiddlywinks or uh, beer pong. I'll, I'll try and win something. So that was quite fun. Yeah. Uh, it was in Ainsworth in New York, I think. And it was four meat patties and uh, a whole heap of mac and cheese. And then they did this deep fried mac and cheese patty. Um, and they had four of those. And then you had to finish that. And then with chips. Um, but yeah, I, I got down to the last patty and the last layer of bun bit. But then I just I couldn't do it. What, I, just, I just couldn't do it. So what what ended it? The volume or? Oh yeah, I was I was I was I couldn't eat. I physically couldn't put it into my mouth. I was just like I, I can't eat. It just was hmm. done. Okay, I've I've, yeah. I've I've been known to the odd food challenge myself. Uh, volume has never often been the problem. It's usually been the monotony or like the... yeah no. It was... It was definitely the volume, Def- definitely the volume, because because this was so fatty, uh, you know, and, and when you eat a large amount of fat in one go, it can be pretty horrific on your <laughs> your guts, yeah. essentially. And uh, I was just, I was done. And it was also post-competition. It was probably a week or two post uh, six months worth of contest prep. So my stomach was probably the size of a peanut. And my appetite was bigger, obviously, but mm. not that big enough, if you will. So uh, sadly, I failed and uh, didn't get my trophy and I still had to spend $40 on it or whatever it was. So, yeah, that's a shame. You know. we, we had um, Mike and Dan, uh, the Bicep and Banter teams, <laughs> yes. on before and we were chatting to Mike about his eating challenges and I said the same thing to him. Like, so The fat thing is a is a real thing. Oh, in, savage. Yeah, like, I, I, think the, what, I can think to a food challenge for a burger place that I did quite local to me in Norfolk that is... Um, it's no longer with us, actually, that restaurant. It went under, unfortunately. But they, they, it, I can't remember what was in it, but it was something like eight burgers. Some of them were quite small, but they were a mixture of, like, chorizo burgers. And I remember just thinking they were so fatty because of the cuts of pork and stuff. That's what that's really what killed me, the kind of, like, fat content slash the salt and just the kind of monotony, the same flavours, just appetite down from a what felt like a 10 at some point. Yeah, it's fine, it's fine. Then it just went to a minus one after, you know, like a, a wall almost. It, it's well, it's just that's the eating challenge thing. But I think you can train yourself to do it, obviously. So mm. you know, maybe I'd do another one at some point because I'm a bit bit chubbier now than I was then. So uh, maybe. Uh, well, this is obviously great content for the people listening. Fitness professionals talking about eating challenges. <laughs> just, just listening to us <laughs> talk about eating. So, may, may, maybe this is something not to to talk about or listen to. Maybe after we talk about uh, to, or, or if you've gone through, what we're going to talk about in today's content in terms of uh, rapid fat loss because obviously that's what we're going to talk about today. So I suppose let's yeah. let's start with um, how would you describe rapid fat loss, other than what people might expect by hearing the words rapid fat loss. Uh, I think I think I was kind of pondering this kind of idea of how to describe it, and I think the best thing, best way to first describe it is who it's not actually for, um, because that's a really important part of that adopting the, the strategy that's going to potentially work for you. Yes, you can have a discovery process and think about what's maybe the best thing to do, fasting, keto, I don't know, some weird other concept that we don't even know about yet. Um, and in particular, especially if people are listening to this and they're only listening to maybe 10 minutes of the first part of this, it's not who it's for. 
And those who have, say, got um, quite bad relationships with their bodies, bad relationships with food, histories of binge eating, um, have ultimately poor uh, habits in terms of not really participating in exercise, not really understanding that vegetables probably play a key part in a lot of their life. Um, so that's probably not who it's for. Um, but what I would describe is a sort of a, an aggressive approach to calorie restriction, really. It's not a subtle kind of 10% here or a couple hundred calories there. It's actually just going hammer and tong for a short period of time. And I'm sure we'll get into the intricacies of it. But essentially, that's what it is. And when we add the idea of, you know, rapid fat loss or fast fat loss or crazy fast fat loss or whatever you want to call it, it's pretty much marketing, isn't it, really? Mm -hmm. um, because the proportion of the weight loss, you're hoping it's going to be a reasonable amount of fat loss. But certainly in the first week, it's going to be large amounts of glycogen and uh, water storage and food in the gut and all that kind of thing. So really, it's kind of just aggressive calorie restriction. But if you call it fast fat loss, it's more appealing to the general population because, you know, we're, we're trying to essentially sell missionary to the porn industry where we're trying to make something that's not very sexy <laughs> into something that's a bit sexier, right? So mm. that's that's probably how I would describe it. Yeah, no, it's a good way. Good way. Obviously, they've got questions around, like you said, the intricacies, intricacies of it. But maybe before we do that, um, you went through something a while back I, don't, I can't remember when i remember seeing you you did some form of youtube, YouTube series, series yeah, yeah. I, I didn't watch it i'm afraid so i'm gonna have to apologize now but <laughs> um, <laughs> don't expect everyone to watch no but um i do remember you doing it so i don't know if it's worthwhile without spoiling all of the intricacies and and kind of giving away too much too soon but just talking about your experience of it yes uh i think a long a long story short essentially uh, my career within the fitness industry, what I felt has been a bit of a campaign on my front was to kind of take something that someone said and then go, well, is that actually true? Is that actually right? Is that something that can maybe be done better or is it just something that we just need to completely uh, forget about? And I mean, it started a long time ago with, with vitamin C was probably the first thing that I went after and then it kind of built from there. And this was one of them, this aggressive uh, approach to calories, this aggressive approach to dieting, this aggressive approach to nutrition, even in my head, I'd always said to myself, well, I'm going to lose loads of muscle. I'm just going to binge afterwards. You know, it's not really good for people. You're not going to be able to maintain strength. You're just going to get weak. It's just, it's just a terrible approach. You should really take the slow and steady 12 week, 16 week, six month diet approach. And all of that will be absolutely fine. But then I'm kind of thinking, I don't, I don't, a, I don't want to have to do bodybuilding shows just to get lean. I don't want to have to just diet for 12 weeks to see a little bit more of my six pack or feel a bit better for the beach or feel a bit better for a pool or just generally just fit into my clothes a little bit better. And there was a paper by a guy called Stuart, Dr. Stuart Phillips, which I'm sure you probably read a few of his papers on. He's a very much a proponent. He looks at more sarcopenia and sort of uh, muscle loss and things, but generally high protein intakes. He, he pushes quite heavily. And the paper was specifically looking at young trained men uh, participating in either a uh, large deficit of about 40% or a smaller deficit, I think it was about 10%, and high protein intakes. Now, to give that idea of context, like I said before, most people would put their clients on between a 10 and 20% deficit uh, and then just kind of tick along like that for the weeks until they hit their, so their weight loss goal or the way they want to look. But this was a 40% deficit. So this is quite an aggressive approach, certainly double what I certainly would have started with previously with clients. And in that study, 
they actually saw that muscle mass pretty much stayed the same and actually got a little bit better, even in the 40% diet group. So I was like, well, this, this might be something worth experimenting or certainly investigating. And often as personal trainers and fitness professionals, I think almost trying to adopt these types of strategies or try to play around with them on yourself can be a great way to understand and empathize and even sort of talk about it from a content perspective and a business perspective. So I, uh, I approached it at a 40% deficit, did a, an eight video series for YouTube. So I'll plug that. If you search my name on YouTube, you'll find me. I think I'm the only Gordon Greenhorn around. <laughs> so I, I basically went for it, lost, I think, nine kilos in the space of about four weeks, give or take. Um, I felt like I had really good results. I hit PBs on squat and deadlift uh, at the end of it. And it didn't do any of the things that I thought it might do. I didn't, I wasn't as hungry as I thought I might be. I wasn't nearly as lethargic as I thought I might be. I lost more weight than I thought I was going to be. I got leaner. Uh, I didn't lose any strength. And it, it seemed it, to me, it certainly seems like a good approach for an individual who has, like I said before, a healthy relationship with food, exercises and already participates in some sort of exercise program, has probably tracked their macros before of some kind and doesn't have any sort of episodes or issues with things like binge eating and disorders of that kind that's um well when you sport everything because you're just giving away all of the secrets and we're all now <laughs> going to run out and do aggressive 40 percent four-week diets which to be fair fair play that is some fantastic results um but no, i've uh, got an ebook coming out <laughs> <laughs> um I, I just just going back i guess there's a there's obviously a lot there obviously in terms of let's say the the intricacies and some of the things that you're saying that you wouldn't usually or, or no sorry you would expect maybe to happen and they didn't um which i think is is obviously we'll, we'll go into more detail in a bit about that because i think it's key um yeah. i suppose some of the bits around i guess the performance and because i guess did you i'm just trying to think how i dissect this a bit more so people listen can understand a bit more so i, I suppose the bit around strength perform stuff in the gym how how did you do anything specifically to mitigate that or because i guess part of me is thinking a man of your stature um your 40 percent deficit might still leave quite reasonable kind of caloric intake compared to someone else um, and I'm just trying to work, kind of bring this out for people listening to say, well, actually, how can I implement that for me? So, how, how did you, how did you structure your kind of nutrition in that period then to help with your train, training performance? I'm assuming you would have considered that, and rather than just yes. Uh, so yeah, I definitely maintain on a higher amount of calories. So my maintenance is probably around 2,800 to 2,900, give or take. I'm generally a pretty active individual. Um, hitting circa 10, 15, 20,000 steps a day without really even trying. So, yes, but then even still, it's pretty relative, right? You know, 40%, 40%, regardless. Um, give or take certain small sort of females and smaller gentlemen, you might see intakes at 12, 1,500, which might make meals quite small. But my intake was 1,900 calories, considering I was sort of consuming at that higher end. Um, and the main things I did with my from a nutrition perspective uh to specifically on performance was I'd typically front load my carbohydrates if I was sort of focused on them. So I would typically have higher amounts of carbohydrates, say, in my lunch meal because I would kind of fast most of the day or try to get as far into the day as I could before I consumed anything. And then maybe two or three hours before I trained, it would probably be my highest carb meal. Um, but with that, I didn't actually track uh, specific macronutrients beyond protein. So I just managed to try and consume sufficient amount of calories to be within that 40% deficit that I was aiming for. And then it was protein that was the main uh, macronutrient that I tracked. And fat and carbs, I didn't 
care too much how much I was consuming. Habitually, I do tend to focus more on carbs, so it was probably quite easy. But yes, my higher carb meal would be in the uh, in the afternoon, you know, before I train later later in the afternoon. Um, and for for a performance perspective, I kind of I basically just took the same program that I did previous to that and reduced the volume overall. So I maintained strength as best as I possibly could. So if anything, it went up just because it was progressing. Um, volume did pull back. So that was essentially the amount of work that I was doing overall. I was just trying to pull back a little bit. So rather than say doing four sets or even upwards of five sets, I might do two or three sets. And then certainly I'd try and keep them towards more of the compound exercises. So bench, squat and deadlift was quite a big focus for me. Military press as well, bent over rows. And then the isolation work was kind of just there as fluff, just to maybe a set or two, just to feel like I'd done something for, say, arms or calves or whatever else. So, the, yeah, the two things there were really consuming a larger carbohydrate meal before training and then ultimately uh, managing training itself. And it wasn't a fancy program. It was literally just to try and stay as strong as I was previously. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's pretty much it. So in terms of reducing your volume or your workload, then was that reactive? Was that planned? It was planned, so I did. I did have, and again, I was kind of running to a bias there in the sense of what I previously expected. But because I know I've got less energy, then fundamentally, maybe if I do a little bit less, I'll recover a bit better, and maybe I'll be able to perform more workouts potentially. Um, so there was an element of planning towards that, and I didn't feel like there was any kind of real big push for most of the workouts, just from memory. I think one or two, I just kind of did squats and maybe did some deadlifts, and then just went home and made sure that they were roughly enough weight um, compared to previous. But the majority of the workouts were fine, they were planned out, and they were just a bit less volume than I normally do, with yeah. the expectation of lower calories. Yeah, okay. That's, I mean, I think that's an interesting point, and actually quite a interesting, I suppose, like thought experiment for some people that they could take. Because I think we all, and I certainly have as well, kind of expect that strength or performance stuff are all going to suffer when you diet, let alone kind of an, an, an aggressive diet. I think I've certainly found from personal experience and working with clients that I'm really cautious around almost noceboing people. And because obviously you can't manage expectations to say like there is a potential that, you know, fundamentally by definition, you are giving your body less energy than it requires to kind of live. Therefore, you know, you can do as much as you can to, to kind of help uh, mitigate against issues in the training, you know, in your training sessions and stuff. But it may happen at some point but then i'm i'm really conscious of really not that nocebo um kind of effect that you might then have which i still see people now even you know people posting pics on instagram about oh i've had a shit session today or whatever else it's like uh, that obviously does happen but i really sometimes wonder whether that's a case of you know they've got it in their head that i'm on low calories and it's meant to be and and that's the that's the difference between coaching yourself versus having a coach so and and also there's almost like a, a ignorance is bliss so I have the same thing with clients, even from clients that are prepped for bodybuilding competitions, not that I get as many of them now, um, but even clients that are just following training programs are like, oh, do I need a deload? It's like, well, no, you haven't told me there's any issues and there's no like strength drops or what whatnot. So it's the same thing. If I was to approach this with a client specifically, again, I wouldn't really talk about those kind of things. I would uh, I would cement the ideas of why I think this is appropriate, why I think this is good why this is probably good for you as an individual um, and then just kind of not really talk too much about the the aspect of feeling tired or any issues with that um, and then just wait for them to see how they get on and if they after the first week are like holy shit my energy levels are through the floor you're like okay well now we need to adjust sort of the amount of output you're doing maybe we pull off a day on your training program um, maybe we talk about how you're sort of 
positioning the type of food that you're consuming. Um, but I think there's an element of just like, this is what we're going to do. This is why we're doing it. This is how we're going to do it. Off you go. Yeah. Right. Let's go and, let's go and yeah. do that. And then, uh, then put it into place and see how they get on. And we coach, but yeah, when you're coaching yourself, you're kind of, you're trying not to sort of understand what's going to happen. You're just trying to let, just do it and then see what happens. So yeah, yeah I no. kind of did the opposite on that. Did, did, did you do anything in terms of kind of like your, the, the dietary side and so nutrition side in, in helping improve it here. And so you've learned in fasting already in terms of you yes. fast, fasted to make it easier. I guess that's why you fasted. Unless you're going to tell me there's another reason why you did. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the biggest thing was that was, um, was skipping breakfast. And I say skipping breakfast more because I wanted to run away from hunger rather than into it. So if I was to restrict my calorie, restrict my calories later in the day, I'm going to be maybe a bit quiet in the evening. I might be a bit bored, sat there kind of just like twiddling my thumbs. Whereas if I eat my calories later in the day, then I'm less likely to be doing that because we eat for different reasons. And one of them can be because we're bored. Um, so fundamentally, that's what I did. I basically wake up in the morning. I just go and have a coffee. I did, in fact, start to introduce an appetite suppressant called Suppress by uh, De Novo Nutrition. Um, whether it had much effect or not, I'm not really sure. Um, but I think that act of just like doing something, thinking it's going to placebo this time, mm. uh, thinking it might do something kind of helped me. So I'd have that coffee and then I'd probably have lunch at 11 or 12 in the afternoon. And then, uh, and that would be like my car higher carbohydrate meal would be rice or potatoes or whatever sort of normal food people eat. And then, uh, then I'd probably train and then I'd have like a snack after my workout, probably within an hour that would be, like a protein bar, melon, for example, I was using a lot of bulking food. So as much, I was trying to get as many uh, kilograms of food for as little amount of calories as I could. And melon was such a savior. You know, I'd eat four kilos, not four kilos, a kilo of melon for I think 250 or 300 calories, give or take. Mm -hmm. um, and just that, that, that process, that mastication, just sitting there, just eating was, was, was perfect. Yeah. Um, I'd use berries. There was another one that I found, and this is again, this is quite an interesting thing because you know, back in the Paul Check days, I don't know if you remember Paul Check. Still, uh, still have his book, uh, Eat, Live, and Grow, or something. I think. Yeah, on my, on my, yeah, yeah, Something yeah. like that. He's probably he's probably got a sect somewhere now in California. Mm -hmm. uh, either way, he um, uh, he used to say things like, you know, microwave meals are bad for you, processed foods bad for you. A lot of people said this, and they still do. But I, I basically lived off of Aldi high protein meals, highly high Aldi slim, slim something, slim well meals for the best part of those sort of four weeks that I followed it because they had meals that were under 500 calories that had 50 grams of protein in them. And then I would just get a microwave bag of veg and then I would just bang it on there. So that was my food prep pretty much. Mm. So that that's. What I, that's what I lived on. I, I fasted through the morning, had a coffee and a, maybe an appetite suppressant. In the afternoon, I'd have my higher carb meal, which would be obviously high protein as well with vegetables, train, snack of some kind. So it'd be a protein bar, a protein shake or something high protein, but with something like melon. And then in the evening, it would be one of these slim well meals from Aldi that were frozen. You just bung them in the microwave and then microwaveable veg. And that was, that was pretty much what I did every day for, yeah, three or four weeks of the diet. Obviously, in it, it well, it obviously improved your adherence. I just want to make sure you get out there so people start thinking: Is there something special in these these slim? Statements? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, all. Those things were improving my adherence from you know being prepared in terms of having the meals uh, from Aldi, for example. They're one pound fifty as well, by the way. Mm. Um, so it was cheap. 
you just stuck them in the freezer, uh, the freezer, and just left them there. So it, it, there was no th- thought process. There was no sort of, oh my god, what am I going to eat? I'm really hungry, which is an issue. That's an issue when you're hungry. You're going to make bad decisions. But if you have something that's already prepared and it's ready for you, and it's pretty much easy to barcode on my fitness pal, jobs jobs are good. Mm. Just go, going back to your kind of prerequisite of who this diet is for then because obviously there's been a lot of uproar and i'll be honest this would be funny talking about anyway i know we did an episode last week but there's a lot of uproar obviously within the week around the government intervention around tackling obesity for the uh covid19 crisis um now i guess a lot of those individuals that would qualify for this you wouldn't say are going to fit that prerequisite as in they're most of these people that are you know type 2 diabetic obese probably um that's not fat shaming please people don't don't write in and tell me <laughs> fat shaming um they probably haven't got the best food relationships um eating behaviors patterns structure all of that type of stuff so however you i would obviously very much describe the 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 direct trial obviously it's based on and, and the intervention itself as a rapid fat loss plan so kind of what are your thoughts there yeah, if you compare that that type of uh, diet, I'm not sure that specific um, intervention that you're. I, I know I know what intervention you're talking about. I don't think it's an exact study you're talking about um, that they reference with it. But there is one that's an Australian three year follow up Australian study that looks yeah, it's uh, quite similar. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. It's about shakes basically, and you know when you look at the detail, ninety five percent of them failed after three years. You know, it was just that the faster weight loss group fundamentally did better at maintaining. But, you know, 95% is a terrible statistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that type, of, that, that type of thing is slightly different because it's generalized, it's government guidelines. Um, so they have to appeal to anyone, regardless of whether or not they've got a binge eating disorder or they've got uh, type 2 diabetes or they have a good relationship with food or they don't. Or, you know, I don't think anybody's morbidly obese has a good relationship with food. And then they have to, it has to cost enough money or it has to cost... Uh, a little amount of money. Um, and that's what you saw in that Australian three-year follow-up study. The, the cost difference between the diet, dietetic recalls uh, was with shake diets was markedly lower than it was, you know, getting them to follow a meal-based sort of plan. It's ridiculous. About three times as cheap to get them to take shake diets. So that's the difference, really. And I think the difference with the approach that I'm suggesting is that it's whole food-based, uh, that it's coached potentially, um, not that I'm selling anyone's services in this, um, that it's coached potentially, and uh, and it's based on an individual, because um, I just I, I just wouldn't I wouldn't want someone who and also from a fitness professional insurance perspective as well, you know, if someone has a binge eating disorder or they they're looking they're typing in fast fat loss on Google, you know, you're kind of you're you're on that edge of whether someone's kind of either has the met the, the is in a mental place that's appropriate for them to probably probably undertake that. Yeah. I think this, this is really for someone who is already in that good place that kind of just doesn't want to, have to do a bodybuilding diet. That doesn't want to have to, you know, do something that's yeah, twelve weeks, sixteen weeks. They can potentially do something for four weeks. Yeah, I think the insurance thing is obviously a very valid point because I guess a lot of people won't stay in their lanes, I suppose, for want of a better quote, um, and will will happily take on anybody despite probably or should potentially have some reservations around it given like you say if anyone's kind of looking at that perspective of, of how quickly they need to lose fat and want to, or want to lose it that quick are they in there in the right mindset i think that's a really fair point um and i guess like 
thinking about who else might want or, or no i suppose thinking who else has, has promoted things like rapid fat loss I, I can i think of things like la mcdonald and his actually actually wasn't it called rapid fat loss sorry to interrupt this episode but we just wanted to let you know that we're currently accepting applications to work with any of our coaches to help you lose weight and get shredded or build muscle and get jacked if you want to know more just head over to nnncoaching.com forward slash apply no contract lengths just evidence-based coaching to make sure you get the results you've always been after yeah and obviously martin mcdonald's been a big proponent of kind of aggressive dieting of late talking around i guess he what he sees is kind of quite an efficacious um approach for a lot of people so i guess i mean I d- i'm just bouncing around my head thinking about like, well yeah I'm, I'm not sure i mean i'm in agreement i think i'm not sure that i would be thinking these are the right interventions for people that have uh any type of disordered eating or eating disorders or, or kind of they need to be in the right mental capacity again for want of a better phrase um and the the government guidelines themselves were clearly a clinical treatment for individuals you know that yeah and it's political you know boris boris has to do something and have some stats and things to throw around whenever there's an election comes along you know i've improved the health of the nation because we've lost x amount or reduced the obesity epidemic blah 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 you know he's He's a friggin' wartime hero now, isn't he? Churchill, mm. if you want to call him that. Don't, um, don't. So I think I think there's also that as well. You know, if you're if you're under pressure as a as a body as a group uh, like Public Health England, you have to get results. And it's just it's just like a place that I used to work many years ago, where you know results were the only thing that was your metric, not necessarily you know good client retention. So you just had to batter people. You know, you had to put them on these crazy diets to get them to lose as much weight as possible and see the best results that you can possibly get without really that two year follow up that you see in that Australian paper that fundamentally shows that 95 percent of people did not succeed, mm. you know, in any way, shape or form. Um, and that's why I think that this type of approach is ultimately better. But it's again, no, I don't think any fast fat loss approach or any rapid fat loss approach is that great for people that don't have good relationships already with the body and with themselves, I think. What, what's interesting on, on kind of that point is the direct trial, so the one in Newcastle and Glasgow that the government is referencing, they're, they're kind of taking their model from. I I don't know if it's any further than this, but they certainly did a 12-month follow-up and it was close to 50% of people that had maintained a non-diabetic status and you know predominantly kept most of the weight off which i think is is an incredible result compared to the very low benchmark for most interventions in the fitness industry um but but even then comparing that to uh gastric band for example it's terrible (laughs) you you know if we there's three interventions when i was the uh isenc whatever it was called this was maybe seven years ago um there was a gentleman presenting essentially on the comparisons of things like uh, gastric band operations to sort of uh, dietitian recall sort of stuff. And uh, gastric bands were phenomenal at reversing mm-hmm. type two diabetes. Absolutely. And they cost, they cost like two and a half thousand pounds, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that was pretty permanent that lasted well past five years. So, you know, this is, this is the kind of thing we're up against is the sense that, even if there is that 50% after a year, that's great. But then what's it like after two years, after three years? And we know, we know that working with people, habit change takes months, years, if not even longer. Yeah. Um, and that's, and it comes down to cost. I really think it comes down to cost uh, as, a, as a massive thing, certainly from a free public healthcare perspective. Um, 
yeah, I think I think I've gone off on a tangent, but yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's interesting. Um, so, just, so okay. Let's let's bring it back to. The... Yes, I'm not a public health. <laughs> <laughs> Any stretch of the imagination. Just, so we can get you know, we can get Gordon for a president. Gordon for a president. We can get you in there. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't. Anyone can do much. I don't. Regular listeners will understand that I don't have much appreciation for a our government, our current party in government. Um, they they don't represent me. Put it this way. So uh, certainly Boris. I just I struggle to see how he's been so successful uh, in air quotes in his life. But there we go. That's probably a conversation another time well, but why 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 does the personal training with the big biceps why are they more successful i i i'm struggling to think if well i'm struggling to, to get the analogy Are you saying that boris has got big biceps or <laughs> <laughs> boris has got a mouth that's what he's got oh, yeah well i'll be honest i don't i yeah i know i get it i mean and certainly there there seems like probably some form of kind of pr style you know, like the, the three word slogans and kind of hammering home simple points. I, I get it, but I, 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 because I see past it, or I feel I see past it. Yeah. I, I, I struggle to understand. I mean, you only got to look at the amount of women he's kind of now bedded to that think. That doesn't matter. No. How many children has he got? Doesn't matter. Yeah, he's no, just a no, man. No one, one knows. Yeah, no one knows. Um, <laughs> he doesn't know. Um, oh, I could get sued now. But anyway. <laughs> uh, Anyway, so yeah, let's bring it, get away from politics and bringing it back to to the diet. So, in terms of, I think we've kind of covered a little bit into in terms of like how someone might implement it. But yes. obviously, you've gone through a lot of the tips around what you did to help your obviously your training performance and stuff, which is clearly important for like the retainment of muscle and kind of the yeah. physique aspect. Because let's be honest, no one's going on a diet expecting to lose or wanting to lose muscle. Um, well, un- unless you're just overly muscled and and heavy, uh, I could only dream that was the case. <laughs> um, but no one's really going to diet with muscle. You kind of covered that. And in terms of the nutrition nutritional aspect, you've talked around obviously you've, what you've done to, for to promote adherence and stuff. Were there any other kind of things that you needed to consider when you implemented then, or you thought of, or did that kind of cover most of it? Yeah, there, there was something quite specific actually. I did it. I did it for 28 days, so four weeks um, specifically. Um, just because it's like starting on a Monday, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'd do it for an entire month and see what happens. I'd actually make it shorter um, just because at the end of it, I'd already hit, I'd hit a target weight. So I, I, my target weight was about 82, 81, 82 kilos. And I'd hit it already about three weeks in, I think. Mm-hmm. So the last week was kind of like me just having to do it because I said it would. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, it's an important, actually, it's an important lesson for a lot of people. Do what you said you'd do. And I'd actually make it, I'd still make it four weeks. But I'd actually have an intro week for the first week. So that intro week would be there'd be no calorie target. There would be no protein target. There'd be no specific target whatsoever, just habit based stuff. So you'd start your tracking aspect with things. So you get on my fitness pal because we all know this. Like I don't track all of the time. I don't I don't log into my fitness pal every single day. I have intermittent relationships with my fitness pal because it reminds me how much I can eat. And. That first week, I uh, set up tracking again, so I would just start recording the food that I'm having, start scanning barcodes, maybe weighing some bits and pieces, just starting to garner an idea of how much I'm actually eating. Um, And then I know it's kind of a really bad thing that people say, and it is used in the wrong context, but tidy things up a little bit. You know, start to look at the the chocolate bars in the cupboard, maybe put them away somewhere or give them to someone, get rid of them, get the ease access of food out of the way and make my life a little bit easier for that commitment period. And then for that three weeks, I go for it. 
I do the three weeks and then I get out of it and that's it done. And, and then the last one with that first week is starting to get into that tracking of 10,000 calories, 10,000 steps. So looking at the idea of how many am I actually doing per day, making sure that I'm doing it at the weekend, not just through the week, that kind of thing. So it's all about that, that one week intro. And that makes such a big difference because you don't feel pressured to start a diet. You don't feel pressured to do anything, but you do start to basically uh, the ball rolling on all of these aspects of uh, process goals that will be an important part of you being successful within this. So that's yeah. pretty much it. Um, and then I weighed myself every day. That's probably another one. Yeah. Okay, good. No, that's that's actually actually that's quite a nice model for helping people ease in as well to a certain extent rather than kind of kind of going all in. Although, I mean, part of me thinks a lot of people like that drastic or dramatic change and whether that would be too easy easing in. But do they do they they're just sadistic individuals? So they're asked, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's almost like yeah. that start again because I kind of align it a little bit like if people if people break a diet or they you know they kind of they do something that they feel like oh that wasn't in line with kind of my current plan. I, I kind of feel that sometimes that aligns with oh it's you know it's not drastic enough to just kind of go back to the plan you know it's kind of no I've got to break True. it now really bad and I will start again really drastically on Monday after I've absolutely smashed this weekend and I kind of feel there's the and then obviously that we know that's quite common with a lot of people um, and that's the type of person that maybe shouldn't be doing this type of diet <laughs> yeah yeah probably um but I just thinking whether it'd be too easy but I know I, I do I think it's a good model actually and um have you have you TM'd it or can I steal that and kind of start selling my twenty eight day RFL course? I think uh, yeah, no, I haven't actually. Uh, I, I have I have started writing this because you know the business and all that and having passive income is like the big thing to do. Um, but I just think it's because I'd like you know the the rapid fat loss handbook. If, if someone is interested, go and buy Lyle's book. It's a bit more hardcore than I've ever done mm-hmm. um, with this sort of. Um, the high rep training and glycogen depletion and all these kind of things and, and specific cardio. Yeah, I say basically a permanent protein spare modifying fast and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's pretty, that's that's hot that's even more hardcore. Um and I think the other thing, you know, I I'm just kinda of off the top of my head remembered that I'd this this isn't just a four week diet. Um I think it would be really important for people to understand that this is also a four week maintenance diet. So you'd complete your one week intro, you do three weeks worth of you know, you go for it, 40% deficit, you do your 10,000 steps, you track your protein, you track your calories, you train, and then you do four weeks of maintaining your body weight. And that's a, that's such an important part of the process because you've done all this hard work, you've done your steps, you've done your tracking, you don't like the thing, bump your calories back up to what would be a perceived maintenance and you can use TDE calculators and all those things online, but then just coast for four weeks, try and maintain your body weight. And I can tell you now, once you've followed three weeks worth of tracking, three weeks of step counting, three weeks of prepping your meals, do those kind of things, you've got the ball rolling and you're in a good place. And then after that, after that four week phase, you can then think about, do I, do I want to lose a bit more? Am I still a higher body fat percentage than I want to be? You know, maybe you're certainly in the higher teens, I would suggest would be, even if you're still there, maybe another three week little stint and then repeat four week maintenance and then decide from there. And I think those types of strategies, because a lot of people actually actually lose weight during that maintenance phase. But the target is just maintenance. So the pressure's off of having to lose weight on the scales. There's no psychological pressure or less psychological pressure. You feel more calories. Your training feels a bit better. The pump feels better. Lots of things feel better. So, yeah, that's that's what I would do after that. I think that that period of maintenance, um, and I'll, of course, again, always four weeks, um, that, <laughs> that that is imperative for any diet, in my opinion, not just rapid fat loss. I think like, you can almost take that out and say, well, actually, when people have lost weight, 
the the kind of ingraining those habits and trying to maintain and learning that maintenance phase is is almost as important as the diet because if not how many people do we know kind of go into a, oh now i need to improve i need to get better and they end up just getting overly fat because they, they didn't learn how to live outside of that diet yep yep that's so. that exactly uh and i think it would be a waste as well if you just did this three weeks uh hardcore if you will uh, and then didn't try and continue those little habit-based process goals that you've been going through. Uh, I think it'd be a bit of a waste, to be honest. And I think if you um, encourage clients and encourage yourself to go into another four-week phase, it's not that long. Um, and it's certainly one in which I think a lot of people can get a lot from, like you just said. Do, do you, Is there any things that you either learned through your period or what you kind of know about the the kind of the general protocol where you would say, other than the, the kind of prerequisites you already said, where you would say actually people would benefit more from a slower rate and some a slower diet? Or is it more kind of, again, just to focus around those prerequisites? Yeah, so the, I think the, the leaner you are, the worse your muscle loss is potentially going to be. So if you're an individual that's sort of sub 12%, sub 10%, and I'm kind of throwing numbers out there, but if you're a lean dude in the gym and you can see some striations in your delts and you've got lines in your quads and these kind of things, I think the you'll have a greater risk of losing muscle mass. Um, so I probably would not approach uh, dieting at that phase. And even girls that are, you know, in the teens in terms of like athletic considerations for body fat percentage, you know, they're sub 20% body fat. I think it would be a bad idea to potentially take on this type of diet. And actually the traditional models of roughly 10% deficits are probably a slightly better choice. Um, not that I've tried it necessarily. Maybe I need to get a bit leaner and try that myself and see what happens. But you typically look at that kind of general bodybuilding style recommendations, certainly towards the end of things. Protein's going to be coming higher because it's going to be used more as a fuel source than necessarily just a maintenance source. Um, so, yeah, I, that's that's the type of individual that I would suggest beyond the ones that I've already mentioned. I think lean men and lean women probably shouldn't undertake it. If you're a man between 20 and 15 percent, good thing to try. If you're a female, you know, 30 to 25% body fat, probably a good idea. Cool. Um, I don't know if we've covered most of it, really. Is there anything else that you can think of that was... Um, I, I suppose the only other thing I was thinking in my head that might be worth touching on in terms of, did you find it more motivating because of, the, I guess, the improved uh, results yeah. very quick? How, how does that kind of fit? Yeah, definitely. Um, and people notice things a lot quicker as well. Like your jawline starts coming a bit more. You know, I was I, obviously my, my business is fitness and fitness part of that is aesthetic. Like that's the foundation of nearly everybody gets into it. And you start getting more compliments. You know, you're a little bit leaner and I post pictures on Instagram and they're like, oh yeah, it's really going really well. It's getting leaner. It's great to follow your journey. Um, so those those were certainly the parts that were, were really nice about it. Um, and certainly when you every time you stepped on the scales, generally it was going down. There were some incidences where it might have gone up. It went maybe went up a touch. And I'd say almost on the reverse, it was even worse. Because then you're kind of like, I'm putting all this effort in and I'm getting all out of it. Mm. So, you know, why is it not happening? So there's kind of that reverse. And that's why I say, you know, at the start of this whole thing, and I keep having to repeat it, that this is for someone who already has a, a reasonable, rational mind there, you know, not necessarily just trying to do this as a super quick fix to ultimately their underlying uh, problems with their or visions of their body and problems with their healthy healthy eating habits, if you will. So, um, yeah, I think definitely motivating, 100%. You know, it's much better to see things going faster. 
But ultimately, on the reverse side, because of the effort you're applying, that 40% deficit, which is a little bit harder, certainly, than something that's 10%, and all the things you're putting in that you weren't doing previously, um, there is a side effect that if it doesn't work, it does have that ramification of, oh, I'm doing something wrong, this is shit, I'm not going to do it again, it's horrible, get me off the diet, what's going on, blah, 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 just give me a cheesecake. Yeah, I guess because some of the proponents of kind of the, the very low calorie diets or kind of meal replacements um, will often say, you know, the motivation is a big, big factor as to why they're potentially mm. successful. And that's a, I mean, it's, it's quite a, a valid point, really, a case of that. That doesn't guarantee that things that we associate ourselves like scale weight or, you know, often we associate emotions to um, are always going to play ball. I guess, yeah. like you say, that then amplifies this this. Uh, negative emotion one might have with a scale if it if it doesn't exactly and then this is where the, the coaching process comes into things i think you know this this reassurance this discussion process um but again it's, it's back to that that type of person that undertakes this type of approach you know you really have to trust in the process and and finish it you know like i said before do what you said you were going to do just because you hit a roadblock or something doesn't happen quite how you expected it to it doesn't mean that tomorrow is not going to be different or the the next week's going to be different or the next month's going to be different or something's going to be different so it's just a case of trusting the process and getting it done um i think you mentioned like we didn't mention a few things uh or there was one thing that we specifically didn't mention was about the idea that your metabolism was suddenly going to like fall through the floor or it was going to get wrecked because you're on such low calories you know i think lay norton was really the one who pushed the idea of um uh, adaptions or metabolic adaptions to severe calorie restrictions and of course, he was seeing this in sort of bikini girls, again, these really lean individuals who were basically eating dust. Um, and there is adaptions, you know, like, I, again, it's something I wanted to challenge because the, the muscle loss side of things, the hunger aspect of things, the results, the muscle loss, all that kind of stuff, but also the idea of metabolism adjustment um, and that it was going to be a huge rebound and there's going to be lots of binging and all sorts of issues. And I think a big shout out to Greg Slater. He talked about a study this week that had... Uh, 70 obese participants, um, they, their essentially metabolisms at the end of it after losing, I think, 15 kilos in eight weeks saw a reduction in their metabolic rate of about 200 calories, but then adjusted for like lower body weight, it was 100 calories. So the adjustment's like half a Mars bar, if that. Mm -hmm. And then once they returned back to maintenance calories, that adjustment, I think, was about 20 calories or basically nothing. Mm -hmm. So in that you know even if you go into this rapid fat loss idea realistically yes of course your metabolism is going to adjust and it's going to adjust more than just you lose body weight but only during the period at which you're in a calorie restriction after you're out of that calorie restriction into maintenance that becomes almost obsolete becomes nothing um and nothing to basically write home about that you can't do an extra few steps for or not nibble the corner of a mars bar yeah i th i think again that's a really really good point to bring out because again that can be applied to any diet not just you know the rapid yes. fat loss because you know the starvation mode i i i like to get a little clickbait you with starvation starvation mode sometimes say look it does actually exist you know people go it doesn't exist no it yeah. does but it's in the form of what you you know metabolic adaptation in that your body does want to try and preserve mass especially when it's getting low in it <laughs> um you know it doesn't want to die caveman if you're a fat caveman you're surviving well i'm telling you right now yeah. if you're if you've got a ramped up metabolism and don't suffer some sort of starvation mode then you're a dead caveman yeah exactly and, and as, this is kind of what i'd like say people so i guess that that point of the fact that you kind of expect it 
uh, or not expect it, but obviously that it does happen. That doesn't just apply to rapid fat loss, does it? It applies to obviously anyone basically that diets for long enough at any rate. Um, however, I think like people need to take home that point of the fact that it is short term and it will reverse when you kind of go back to eating normally. Um, it's... And it can, it, can, it can all be mitigated with not doing a stupid exercise program, you know, weight training, eating protein, maintaining lean body mass, um, all those things are going to contribute towards it. You know, you only see massive reductions in uh, resting metabolic rate if you do a stupid thing like the biggest loser sort of uh, yeah. diet where you eat 500 calories a day and walk 10 miles or something. But even then, even then in this the Minnesota starvation study, they didn't see a huge reduction. I think it was about 17, uh, 17% reduction in the resting metabolic rate. But that was, that was also very extreme. You know, it was 1600 1800 calories and then 10 miles a day or 20 miles a day um so the reductions are are you know like i said before a mars bar size reductions but they come back to normal as soon as you start eating stop eating like a shrew yeah i i remember i think krieger presented at the one of the or the first fitness summit where he was kind of going through different demographics of people and their their rmrs or bmrs and I think like even the biggest, the smallest people in the deviation was something like 400 calories in RMR. It was something, I can't remember now what it was, but it's something so small. And obviously he was kind of hypothesizing that the biggest that kind of bit you can hold to account in terms of difference in actual energy output was your kind of your neat, your non-exercise activity. Exactly. Just, that, your was movement. The biggest, that was the biggest loser follow-up. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the reductions were from the fact they weren't exercising. Yeah. And it's like, well, like you say, you can mitigate that then by still exercising you know still doing things <laughs> and, and i get i mean you know as, as coaches i guess that's why you know we often will get things like data on steps and, and other stuff to try and help you know yeah try and see if that type of thing is actually happening because someone's suddenly going down to oh i'm just sitting on the sofa all day now because i'm tired all the time you can kind of think well there, there we go we can start to account for this stuff it's not because you're now in starvation mode although you know a joke is it does exist <laughs> but it's not because you're in starvation mode and you're you're obviously body's just you know I don't know thousand calorie deficit and it's putting on weight it's well no that's not happening so so that that was something i wanted to sort of uh talk about because that's that's kind of part of this whole process like muscle loss if you do it properly again it's about doing it properly right it's like crash diets are usually ones that are just so bad i was in holland and barrett today uh i don't know why but i was in holland and barrett and uh they've got their different sections and they have the weight loss section obviously and it's just these things of these like silly sort of little drinky things that you can have and, you know, sachet this and a pill there and that kind of thing. Like that's that's dumb. That's that's a dumb way to diet. And it's not an appropriate way to do things. If any if, if, a pack, if something actually says on it weight loss, I can tell you now it's probably not a very good way to do weight loss. Um, so that's where this this type of approach it's trying to be a bit more methodical. It's trying to be a bit more pragmatic. It's trying to be a bit more systemized and looking at it as an approach that it's just an adjustment of what you've been doing previously, not necessarily a sudden abrupt uh, approach that's going to answer all of your problems that you've had previously. It's really about just taking a lot of the things you understand have already been doing, but then just ramping it up a little bit to target specifically faster fat loss. Um, yeah. And I, I think I think one, maybe and this is the thing we can round up on, I think one key point of that as well, which again, the the evidence-based bros during the week probably missed on, is that it's not meant to be sustainable. <laughs> because if it, if, it, if it is, you, it. You'll, you'll die. So, which death is probably not an outcome. <laughs> that was that was actually, that's probably the one as well that I missed out again. It was this, this nonsense about sustainable dieting. Like, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but then I suppose diet is just what one eats. Um, but dieting is, I suppose, the effort. Most people think of fat loss of some kind or weight loss. But yeah, that was that was the thing I wanted to challenge as well was the idea of sustainability. Like bullshit. Yeah. It doesn't need to, like my drinking habits. Sometimes at weekends aren't sustainable. So. <laughs> it's probably a good job they're not um before 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 we do round up um we like to well i do i like to ask some non-fitness related questions of our guests just for a bit of the bants okay, um put some lights on in here it's gone very dark it's got, yes. <laughs> I, I, I can see you so it's fine don't worry um <laughs> our, our, our listeners will uh well i'll say we won't use the video anyway but our listeners probably won't mind um so i would like to know what is the best burger joint you've ever been to but don't give us the one in new york because best i don't feel like we can reuse an eating challenge because although i imagine it was still good quality i want to know what the best bear in mind where you are situated and visit a lot there's a few good places in the capital oh it's fantastic yeah so um so does this have to be like i'm i'm this has got to be does this have to be accessible is this literally just the best no no burger? no. just if, if if it happened to be on your travels then by all means i just want to know what the what you think is the best burger place you've ever been to okay so there's there's i'd i'd say two right so it's kind of on par the first one was in new zealand in queenstown a place called ferg burger um mm. i did a vlog about it so if anyone wants to check out my youtube channel it's on there um, you can you can shout out your stuff at the end, mate. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was I don't even know if someone's actually got to this point yet. If they have, hit a like in the comment or anything or say hello. Um, <laughs> yeah, Fergburger, and then weirdly, really weirdly, in uh, a place in Koh Samui, which uh, in Thailand, Thailand, I don't know. It was in a random market. It was easily one of the best. Maybe I was just hungry, but it was easily felt like the, one of the best burgers I've ever had. It was unreal wow. how good it was. Uh, I didn't. I didn't get the shits after it either, so that was a success, and it felt pretty good, and it tasted amazing. But oh. I've got to say, Ferg Burger in Queenstown. Queenstown's okay. probably the okay. Best I've, I, I'm pretty sure I've heard of that, and I don't think it's from you. But um, yeah. is it quite a, a well-known place? Yeah, it sounds, it's sounds huge, huge round the door. Yeah, like, ridiculous. It's, it's amazing. I, I certainly feel like I've I, that name really sounds familiar anyway. But um, yeah, I say in the capitalism. You know, my favourite in in London's probably probably Bleecker. Because dirty burgers yeah, also yeah, dirty quite very good. But yeah. well, then you've got yeah. honest, you've got pat and bun. You know, there's so many good options. Let's be honest. Um, there is, yes. Okay, if uh, they're not all food related, but this one is: if you had to build a house from one item of food, what would it be? Oats, obviously. Oats, Scottish, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> Do they have to be Scottish oats? Do they make oats anywhere else? They are in Scotland. Uh, no, they make goats elsewhere. I Did bought they? some in uh, New Zealand that were from Australia. So. Oh, right. So they didn't import them from Scotland. I think that would be probably unwise. Uh... <laughs> well, probably, yeah. And I'm not sure I'm not sure oats can not necessarily be grown elsewhere in the world. I just, yeah. I'm just I, getting racism thrown at me right now, am I? I'm going to have to, you know, write a I, book about this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that counts as racism, but... Oh, it um, does. No, uh, it's just my ignorance of where oats are grown, that's all. Here you go, here's a fun fact. Did you know that I think the Globe's majority, <laughs> something like large majority, 90% of kiwis are grown in Italy? <laughs> Did you know that? Well, no, I didn't. Um, good. All right, good. All right, skin on or skin off kiwis? I don't really eat kiwis. If you did? Uh, skin off, yeah. I'm spooning it. Okay. Yeah. It's a bit, it's a bit, it's weird when people do that kind of thing. Like, you know, I'll eat a cucumber with skin on it, but just because, you know, my mum used to say it was healthy for me, but she'd never give me a kiwi with, without it having been cut up. 
All the fibres in the skin, though. Yeah, but it's, nobody likes hairy things in their mouth. <laughs> well, I've been known a couple of times. But <laughs> um, okay. Um, this this is the final question. So, um, would you rather be uh, attacked by a hundred duck-sized horses or one duck-sized horse? No, have I got that right around? Hundred duck-sized horses, one horse-sized duck. There we go. Got it right. Do I have a weapon? No. Well, I don't know. What what does your missus say? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't help myself. Um, I'm gonna go against the 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 duck, the horse sized duck. Horse sized duck. Okay. Because you know you, you you can get overwhelmed quite quickly by a lot of small things. So one big thing, you can at least have a go. Yeah. Okay. You know. Good. Yeah. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, do you want to shout out your uh, your YouTube channel and your socials, or the best way to find you? Yeah. Um, yeah. As uh, as we've already gone through, I've got a fanboy here who's followed me for near enough a decade. Thankfully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Um, if anyone actually uses Facebook, I'm still on Facebook. Uh, I'm not like the Instagram popular people who have you know. 100,000 followers on Instagram and one on Facebook. So I've got a, quite a lot on Facebook, but also Instagram. Just type in Gordon Greenhorn across any social media things. You'll find me. Um, website, gordongreenhorn.com, YouTube, Gordon Greenhorn, uh, and you'll find me and uh, hopefully not offending anyone. That's no. the main thing. Well, sorry about my anti Scottish oats. It's okay. Oats. It's okay. You know, I experience it every day. Watch, I just walk down the street, someone shouts things at me, honestly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not surprised. It's a Scottish wanker over there. He's a dick. <laughs> Such a, look at him. He just stinks of Scotland. What does Scotland smell of? I've been to Scotland, I should know, but as in I mean a small amount of amazingness and a little bit of sturgeon. Okay, makes sense. Nicola or all the well. fish. <laughs> <laughs> um just actually going back to the burger question, I'm a bit disappointed. Uh whereabouts in Scotland actually from? Uh, I was born in Edinburgh, but raised in Aberdeenshire. Okay. In Edinburgh, I've got a fantastic, well, actually in Glasgow as well, but Bread's Meat Bread, have you been there? Heard of I've that? heard of that, yeah, been there. I had, uh, I had what's it called? The Luther Burger? Luther, the yeah. Luther yes. Yeah. Donut. I'm surprised that that didn't come up there, because it is a fantastic, certainly a place for meat, anyway. You know, this, I'm, I, again, I'm going to sound like a very, very first, this is going to sound like a very first world problem. But I have been to over forty-five countries, so I'm like I'm lucky enough to have quite a breadth of different types of burgers and choice. Like this Werner Ferg burger had beetroot in it and a fried egg. Um, so yeah, but I've had that in a giraffe restaurant, so that's not really sound a lot. All right, well, you know, sometimes we don't have to go to giraffe restaurant. <laughs> I don't even know if they still exist, do they? <laughs> uh, think don't think so. Actually, I say, think no. about I've not seen one in a while, so. Um... Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, <laughs> it's been lovely. It has been lovely. Thanks very much. No, thank you for coming on. I uh, much appreciate it. I said um, we went because obviously Steve's been on. Steve Kent's been on a couple of times now, and I said to him, "We should maybe get you both on together. There might be right, okay. be some interesting. We'll have to just come up with a good good topic of conversation." I just disagree with him for the sake of it. So if I, I just I'd be like, "Steve, you're wrong. No, no, don't." Because nope. he 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 he's he might seem unassuming, but he's he he's not. So. Me and Steve, uh, we meet up for like a coffee maybe once a week or once every couple of weeks. But he's, uh, yeah, he's become a really good friend, actually. He's a good lad. He's all right. Yeah, I don't mind him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, no, it's been, uh, I've, I've very much enjoyed this, mate. Um, thank you. And thank you for making no my dreams come true. So <laughs> <laughs> um, 
yeah, on that note, we'll say goodbye. Yes, mate. Stay in touch. Will do. Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week.